France are your EHF Euro 2024 champions after a dramatic extra time victory against Denmark, 33-31 in the end. The French are victorious, the almighty Danes have been toppled, and the world doesn't really know what to think. This is Alex Kulesh here, and I'm joined by Chris O'Reilly. How are you doing? Good, Alex. Good, Alex. Just uh, just about recovered, almost fully recovered from uh, that championship. Three great weeks in Germany. And uh, you know, I think one of our people on, on Discord put it really well and is saying, I'm kind of glad that the Euro is over now because my life has been completely dominated by it. Like as, as good as it was, all good things must come to an end, they say. And uh, that is the case for this Euro. And it ended in perfectly dramatic fashion, just as these championships should, and just as any event at Lanxus Arena should. Yeah, it was it was an unbelievable final weekend. You know, again, we had some hesitation going into it, <laughs> or at least I did, um, but you were very confident that it was going to be a fantastic final four, semifinals and finals, and we got an unbelievable collection of games, all, all four games, Five, if you include Hungary taking their historic <laughs> fifth place in the European Championship. Two dramatic extra time victories for France to seal the European Championship. And Denmark still, despite winning three world championships in a row, the European Championship evades them. And it is a shock. You know, it, it it's the finest of margins. They're two amazing teams, but... Everyone and their granny had Denmark winning the European Championship, except Marcio Menino, <laughs> who uh, did pick France to win uh, out of all of our experts. So it, it was a complete shock and it was a fantastic game. Really um, dramatic all the way through. Sweden, of course, took took the bronze medal ahead of Germany. Uh, something that we, we expected, but Germany did make a game of it. It looked like it was very clear for Sweden um, in that bronze medal match. But uh, in the end, they did win 34-31 and claimed a spot in the Olympics, which is quite important. Yes, yeah. And probably a pity for Germany, who I think would have really cherished, cherished a bronze medal. You know, they would have really celebrated it in front of their fans and, yeah. But Sweden, very good team. We spoke about that before. Yeah. Sweden very much deserved at least a bronze medal out of that tournament. There, there was the top three and then the rest at this championship. Uh, and anything else would have been a bit of a disappointment. And uh, Max Dari saying afterwards that he's actually not sure whether the Olympic spot or the bronze medal is more important. He, he was leaning towards the Olympic spot, which is also quite interesting, uh, seeing as they don't <laughs> have to put in the extra effort in a qualification tournament to get there. Coming up later in the show, we have uh, interviews with Nadim Remili and Mikkel Hansen uh, right after the epic final we're going to speak about. And before we go into that, it's a good chance for us to thank all of you on Patreon who've supported us 
over the last month. Uh, a real nice rise in the community over the last couple of months, actually, for the World Championship and in particular for the Euro. And uh, yeah, we want to thank you for supporting us and hopefully to continue supporting us because we've got a lot more fun stuff coming up in the months to come with the second half of the season and uh, also leading up to the Olympic Games in Paris. But now to the final. I mean, fine margins. Like France didn't win a game in <laughs> in normal time on this final weekend. I don't think anyone has... has uh, yeah. Nobody's done that at a Euro before. Funnily enough, that was the, the Magdeburg route from just a few months ago. But on both occasions, like snatching the draw from the jaws of defeat. Before we get to the final like moments, I think maybe it's good to... We'll go in chronological order, shall we? Yeah. Let's. So the first first thing that happened in the game was yes. Emil Nielsen got the start Were you surprised? ahead of Nicholas Landin. I think I was surprised. I think he absolutely deserved it, but it's worked for Denmark in such epic fashion to have him come on. So in this case, in the final, Emil Nielsen had mm-hmm. an unbelievable game. He had an unbelievable first half. He was at 50% save rate in the first half and then tailed off a little bit. Nicholas Landin came on and had his kind of normal good performance, but not outstanding. But what's worked for Denmark in this championship is you have Nicholas Landin starting off with a good performance, not outstanding, enough to keep Denmark in the game. And then you have Emil Nielsen come on and <laughs> crush the soul of any opponent who dares to compete with Denmark. In this case, it was kind of flipped uh, and worked in a negative way, I suppose, even though Emil Nielsen had... Uh, I, I wasn't surprised. The only thing that surprised me was that uh, Nikolai Jakobsen was, was kind of brave enough to do it. Because based on his performance in the championship and based on the fact that Emil Nielsen... Number one, played a number of years in France. And number two is a teammate of key players for for France. This is kind of a, an insight that they have not been able to get before. To have, and I think for a goalkeeper, it, it is a bigger advantage to know the shooters than for the shooters to know the goalkeeper. Um, and so in that sense, like on paper, it made perfect sense. The fact that he did it, they get, he threw him in there, was a little bit, was like the, the brave thing to do. And... Uh, as you said, it, it it worked out because he was winning that goalkeeper battle by a long way and he was making some crucial saves. However, in that first half, what really stood out for me in what was a fantastic game is that while Emil Nielsen was doing some amazing work in the Danish goal, the French defense was doing some amazing work against the Danish team and causing a number of turnovers, forcing difficult shots and so even if Samir Belisen wasn't having a or and didn't have an extraordinary game again did just about enough it didn't reflect on the scoreboard whatsoever it was incredible work from that French defense those steals by Dylan Ay were it, you know it's it's quite obvious isn't it you know Mikkel Hansen stands there and uh Giesel and Putlik are running around. So you just have to capture that moment where Mikkel Hansen is standing there. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to be ridiculously yeah. fast like Dil Nahi to go 
three meters in the space less <laughs> of less than a second or whatever it takes for Mikkel Hansen to throw a pass. But there was two crucial interceptions by Dylan Ahi uh, on the wing, which, again, really stemmed the tide for France, where it looked like Denmark were in control. And then bang, uh, steal, fast break, go, bang, steal, fast break, go. And you could see just how much the French defence really studied um, that Danish attack. And yeah, I, I was quite surprised that it w- went in level at 14-14 when you look at uh, Emil Nielsen's 50% save rate. Um, and, you know, for, for Denmark, Matthias Gissel started off really well. Simon Putlik uh, put in a good shift. They were also playing well. Um, the big difference in the whole game was really the, the turnovers. So for Denmark, they did have 11 turnovers in the whole game. France only had yeah, three. 11 to three is, is a big, big difference. And um, what was also uh, standing out to me a little bit there was the um, the rebounds. And I haven't been able to find... And I don't think that it's really something that's tracked so much, but rebounds collected by by France in the uh, in the attack in particular, and Ludovic Fabregas uh, in particular, because that was something that was also keeping them in that game in the first half. Emil Nielsen was making saves, but there was a few times it felt like crucial times where the rebounds were going to going to France, and they either got a goal straight away from it, or they again set up another attack because uh, they really did have more good opportunities uh, in that match compared to Denmark. And and you just uh, just going back to what you said about goalkeepers knowing it's better for a goalkeeper to know a shooter than a shooter to know a goalkeeper. And that wasn't mostly evident in DKMM mm. going zero oh, from yeah. five in that first half with really got opportunities because France were doing really, really well. They were breaking through the Danish defence. I don't think the Danish defence was particularly that strong. I really think it was Emil Nielsen that was doing wonders as opposed to like a combination of a, of defensive work and goalkeeper. France were sailing through and there was one moment and I think it was Mem's fourth shot um, after he had three saves from uh, Emil Nielsen. He broke through. He was right in the middle of the goal. He was going at speed. And he just like, he jumped and waited for <laughs> so long because he was just like, I really, really need to score this. And he waited, waited, waited and smashed it against the post. And it's just like, that. that's not a moment where, that's a moment where literally Emil Nielsen was so in his head that he overthought that shot so much that he had to overdo it so much that he actually ended up mm. hitting the post in what is just a shot he's probably scored or would score a hundred out of a hundred times. Um and that was, you know, the that was incredible to see. I kind of built up this DKMM versus Matthias Gisel, two best players in the world. And uh just recently uh our good friends uh Rasmus Boysen and Stieg Newgard did their top 50 player list that comes out just before the final and they put DKMM ahead of Matthias Gitzel. So he put DKMM as the first best player in the world and Matthias Gitzel as the second best player in the world. And in the first half, Matthias Gitzel was definitely well, the best well, player Well, I mean, in the for world. the 60 minutes, I think like 
for the 60 Gietzel, minutes. Uh, like in two different two different ways. I mean, the first half was brilliant in terms of shooting, and his shooting in the end was was picture perfect, eight from eight. But in the second half, uh, it was his ability to win penalties. He had six assists in the game. I think five of those are attributed to winning penalties, which Miguel Hansen put away. So that would have been five more goals that uh, he would have scored uh, if not for the fact that he was he was fouled and a penalty given for it. Um, he was he was really on fire. And I mean, we we saw Simo Pitlick kind of stepped up a little bit. Uh, it was still, you know, he, he was five from ten in the end. He wasn't doing anything particularly special, but he was coming up with a few big goals. Not the Pitlick from last year, but it felt like enough to keep the scoreboard ticking over enough for Denmark to uh, to basically stay in the game or stay in the head because even though it felt really even in that first half as the second half developed, it looked to me like this was Denmark's game. They were one or two goals better in my mind than France. They were, and it was the quality of essentially Giesel, Putlik and Hansen. So all of them took turns, essentially, Giesel was pretty constant throughout, but he would have kind of moments where he would be slowed down. Um, Putlick really came up clutch with nine meter shots. So he really saved uh, Denmark. I think you can't underestimate Mikkel Hansen Mm, scoring seven from seven penalties in the final. That's not an easy thing to do. That is incredible. And, you know, he just absolutely bamboozled the French goalkeepers. It's his penalty style is just outstanding um, and then towards the end actually Mikkel Hansen stepped up and scored two really crucial goals and now he is actually the top scorer in EHF Euro history he uh, overtook Nikola Karabatic who didn't really uh-huh. play in the final Nikola Karabatic he had a couple of good passes um, in the first started, half yeah he got, he got two assists uh, zero from one he did play 35 minutes and, you know, defensively, France were solid, but uh, Prandi was really the, the offensive force in, in that left-back position. Uh, and like, just Ludovic <laughs> Fabregas. <laughs> Ludicrous Fabregas. Ludicrously fabulous. <laughs> he is just an absolute beast. And he was the player that... France went to time and time again when they struggled. They just got the ball to him on the line. He turned, he scored eight from 10, really good return. Got two more penalties as well. Defensively was a beast. And he, I think, you know, we need to start really talking about him as, as the best player in the world, at least in that discussion with the likes of Dikamem, and yeah. uh, Matthias Giesel, I think Ludovic Fabregas belongs right up there. He's definitely the best line player, but I think what he does offensively and defensively and the way he can now start mm. dominating games, you know, so regularly we've seen him in this championship just get get those eight goals in a game, which is not easy for a line player, irrespective of what defense is doing. Um, but you and, say that he, he's yeah. had a good tournament, a uh, uh, very good tournament. 44 goals, uh, 88% scoring. 
But that was that was his highest score in a single game at this championship, that 8 from 10. Before that, the highest was 7. So he was scoring consistently, but saving your very best in front of goal for the final, that is massive. Um, that also shouldn't be yeah. underestimated. Um, it, it felt to me like... You know, there was uh, there was a lot of talk in the uh, the game about the about the physical side of things from France, uh, and I think it's one of those things where it's like maybe easier to say afterwards because uh, Denmark lost the game that maybe they were overpowered a little bit physically because as we're going to go into, I'm sure they had the game literally in their hands in the final seconds, so you know it didn't really matter in the end, um, but. Did you feel that there was that much of a physical disparity between the two teams? I think I think they're like Putlik and Gissel got hit hard many times, and I don't think we saw the same on the mm. French players. And that's you know Fabregas actually overpowering multiple times the the Danish defense on the line it wasn't like a lot of the goals that Fabregas scored weren't kind of free shots each time he wrestled through whether it was Segstrup held whoever it was and you know you look at a player like Segstrup who was fantastic but he's not the biggest guy on the court he's a big guy but he's not an absolute tank in the same way that you have Fabregas mm. and Carl Conan on the other side. They're, they're just more physically imposing. And I think that could have worn um, Denmark down a little bit. And then I think, crucially, they were smart enough. The defence was not only big, it was also fast in what we talked mm. about, Dylan Nahi, and also smart to shut down Denmark 7-on-6, which has been really effective throughout, kind of, yeah, for, for a long time now. Uh, when Denmark kind of bring out the 7-on-6, it kills off a game. That's what happened in the semi-final against Germany. They, they had nothing. They were getting nothing with that 7-on-6 against the French defence, which was just mobile, strong, and clever. Um, and it really um, should we go into the final sense. final quarter then break down how France once again survived death here because Denmark did go for the 7v6 quite late in the game I think the, the timeout came just before 5 minutes left to play so Jakobsen was about 6 minutes left to play I think Nikolai Jakobsen knew he needed to take it now because France might have also had that in mind and tried to kill kill enough of that time to make sure they didn't get the, the extra timeout and so with about six minutes left to play, Denmark go 7v6. Hansen hadn't scored uh, from, or I think he'd scored one. No, he hadn't scored at all from open play. He hadn't yeah, scored, he'd scored all, all these magnificent play, yeah. penalties, which, as we said, is completely not to be uh, underestimated. But he steps up in the middle of that seven on six. Things There's no space around him. The line players aren't being given the chances because France were just yeah too mobile, too smart. So there was space, though, for Hansen to step up. And boy, did he step up and bang in a couple of goals towards the end. Yeah, he did. Um, he, he essentially, the, France took mm -hmm. the lead, uh, went up 50, 
25, uh, 24. And that's when Mikkel Hansen got two in a row um, to bring Denmark back up. And it looked like it was kind of it. Then Matthias Gisel got, um, so Fabregas earned a penalty. Kantan Maia stepped up and oh, I loved Kantan Maia in the final. He was scoring these penalties and just going <laughs> nuts. It just shows you just how yeah, much oh, pressure there is and how difficult mm-hmm. it really is th- that he was just going nuts on the bench every time he scored, screaming his head off. And then Giesel got uh, a goal, again, just kind of breaking through untouched. There were so many times where it looked like it's similar to what kind of the skipper did um, in earlier in the championship uh, where everyone's so scared of what you're going to do that you can just sail through the middle and score a goal. And that's what Matthias Gitzel did, got the lead. France had the ball and then, um, sorry, Denmark got the ball and it looked, looked like if they managed yeah. that time, then they could have won the game. They really should have won the game. Uh, I think there was just a little bit of lapse of concentration, which led to this fast break, Ludovic Fabregas goal to equalize. And I don't know what if you noticed what actually happened in that equalizer, Chris. Did you see what Mikkel Hansen did? Did I see what Mikkel Hansen did? He would have been basically where Fabregas... uh, that's where Fabregas started, right? He was being marked by Hansen, and then he slipped off him. Michael Hansen absolutely oh. panicked okay. in the center of defense. He absolutely okay, shit to... himself, <laughs> and then caused that goal. So everyone just okay. just rewatch it. So what? Ha- so on the other side first. Oh uh, Gisso no! I, I see it. Oh no! Not a- <laughs> Do you see what happened? <laughs> I'm watching it now. Yeah. So, so Go on, take us through it. You have to, you have to yeah. look back at this. So the turnover happens, and we'll go back to whether it was a turnover or not. Oh. But Mikkel Hansen was in the centre of defence. Usually, yeah. he doesn't really defend. He goes on the wing if he does, and he does okay on the wing. But he ran all the way back um, and landed in the centre of defence as France were attacking. So. France got into attack, Remley with the ball, Fabregas on the line, and Michael Hansen standing there in the centre defence, being like, what the hell am I doing here? And in that moment, he goes to Giesel and says, here, Matthias, take my spot in the middle here, and steps away from Fabregas. He takes a step like two metres away from Fabregas, and Fabregas is there completely on his own to receive the ball. All Michael Hansen had to do mm-hmm. was stand there and look like he was a defender instead of absolutely shitting himself and trying to put someone else into that spot. And that cost uh, Denmark. Not, not the only did he like, peel away in a kind of looking around where, where do I actually belong here, but he actually has time during this to fix his hairband as well. <laughs> His sweatband. <laughs> oh my god! He just—he literally op- it's actually, opens it's, it's up a two-on-one. Um, like it's Prondi and Fabregas against Saugstrup. We're thirty-three seconds left. Yeah, and yeah. He's trying to shove Giesel in back into the middle, but it's too late. It's uh, and Giesel. <laughs> he just and got Giesel terrified. Just looks at Hansen. Oh, he's like, "What have you? Done? How do you? How have you done this to us?" Yeah, yeah. 
my goodness. He looks like he's just like what? What? That is it's, uh, it's crazy. That's wild. Um <coughs> and that's the equalizing goal. And uh we're we're into extra time. So just on the Matthias Gitzel, his turnover after passive play, essentially. I a lot of Danes were quite angry that this was given, but I think the hand was up for a little while. There was already one attempt at essentially going into the defenders foul Mm -hmm. so this was a second attempt of going into defenders without an aim of shooting so i think it was a relatively good decision yeah these things can be like sped up a little bit in these seconds you know i think that's you'd rather see in terms of um you know turning it over and uh, there was a couple of times where i think it was also kirkulaka or pitlick at one point you know they're jumping into the defense hoping that they get the free throw yeah, and the referees are just onto them, you know, and it's like, no, you you don't look like you're going to take a shot. You, we give the ball to the opposition, and I think that's okay with me, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it was, you know, he was kind of dragging out of him, but yeah, again, I, I think it stems from the fact that the hand was up, and it wasn't necessarily a full direct attack into a uh, score goal. Um, and then we have extra time and again France are the team that have the momentum to Brian there in the in our Patreon only post post or post semi-final uh, pod that the only way I saw France winning this game is if they took it to extra time because I thought over the 60 minutes Denmark would be better they were better but they didn't score the amount of goals needed to win the game the key thing for me in extra time, and I think you alluded to it as well earlier on with Nicholas Landine coming on. Now, he made two saves in, in important times, but that didn't feel so right to me at the time. And again, hindsight is twenty twenty, but that feels like it was a mistake. And DKMM felt like it was their mistake as well. Exactly, exactly. I think you, um, I think you have to put Nielsen in for extra time. Uh, despite his little, you know, he had a fantastic start, then started to drop off. So it was probably right to bring Landine in when, when he did. But you just you bring in your impact guy, like you bring in the guy who's gonna, and you know what, Nicholas Landine also, yeah. they're both amazing. So hard to make the decision, but it's kind of it's quite punishing to. Nielsen to like not give him a chance after he already was having an unbelievable game not to give him another chance to continue his unbelievable game and yeah DQMM 0 from 5 in normal time 2 from 2 9 meter shots uh, breakthrough and a 9 meter shot for DQMM in extra time which really kind of they're the two crucial goals that brought it from level to uh, and France, again, two the goals up. Man who basically scored the winning goal was uh, Eloi Prandi. And he <laughs> took four steps. That's just his thing. <laughs> to be fair, that that one is also like, yeah, he got the winner. Amazing, um, clutch, fantastic. But this is probably just it's this issue with the with the steps it's it's kind of it's kind of getting ridiculous um now what he did was take a step take the zero step yeah. took two more steps uh, well, so that's five step 
you're not allowed to take a step. It's five steps. You're not allowed to take a step before the zero step. If you take a step before a zero step, that's two steps. It's and very, that's what you did. It's, it's, Took it it's super clear. Nine meters. Yeah. Super clear. That that should have been yeah. called as travel. But hey, <laughs> France won. And it, there is this slightly weird feeling because of all yeah. of this. And there's so many complaints, so many people jumping on the um, unfair ship that, yeah, it's... It's hard to, like, fo- it was so de- de- divisive. Everyone's complaining at each other. Everyone's shouting, you know, <laughs> cry more. No, this is this. People are pulling up real books. People, you know, there's o- lots of alliances being made. Sweden, Denmark finally mm-hmm. seeing eye to eye against France. You know, all of this online. But uh, in the end, uh, I think you have to give it to France for the attrition they had for the tactical performance they put in so Guillaume Gilles has to really be respected in this win um, especially how they set up defensively and we Prandi hey he played by the rules that were given to him and he scored twice to, yeah, you <laughs> to can, win I the mean, championship yeah, if he got caught then so be it if he didn't he I mean this it's the same it's funny because people are so quick to forget that that's what People were complaining about Denmark last year. Putlik and Gietzel. Exactly. And the GOG yeah. five-step. And just like, you know, it's, it is it is funny how people, uh, quickly people forget about it. Um, and I'm pretty sure by the time August comes around and they meet in the Olympic final, <laughs> or if they don't because of some other <laughs> controversy that knocks one of them out, uh, we'll have moved on. But it, it sets it up. Uh, very nice and I'm glad we don't have a whole year to wait for what is like the also the real final chapter of you know Karabatic versus uh, Hansen and it's going to be and it's in France Hansen, as well which yeah. just that's uh, going to be exceptional it's going to be really uh, really nice and I think that this is a this has been a really great rivalry which we were kind of surprised that although they've met in big they've met in the Olympic final Met in World Championship final. This is their, that was their first Euro final meeting since France absolutely spanked Denmark at home in, in 2014. And so, yeah, this maybe feels like that chapter coming to an end in a way. Even though these two nations are going to keep producing amazing players, but it'll be different groups of players playing each other in finals. Uh, I'm not going to be surprised if we see Dikamem and Matthias Giesel play six finals against each other you know they've already played a few um it's not quite it has been an incredible rivalry um and when you really think about it the moment when Fabrica scored to equalize and send the game into extra time and Hansen's action in that mm-hmm. moment to be scared of defense is why Nikola Karabatic is the best player of all time. And while Mikkel Hansen is he can't defend. right up there, he's not. He can't defend. scored the equaliser there. Also a nice little bit of redemption for him because it was he who was uh, denied by uh, Palika in the end of the semi-final against Sweden two years ago. It was he, wasn't he the one who missed the last penalty against, against Magdeburg as well. So yeah, coming up clutch 
uh, for his team is uh, a sign of progression as well. So nice one for Ludovic. Before we go into our alternative awards, it's our chance to hear from the gold and silver medalists. Uh, we'll hear first from Miguel Hansen about how he took that loss for Denmark. And then from the MVP himself, Nadim Remeli. So Miguel Hansen, it's uh, of course not the situation you want to be in here uh, with the silver medal. It's been a little bit now since the, the final buzzer has gone. Uh, what's going through your mind in that game? Oh, obviously, all of us will be really disappointed uh, playing a final where you have a couple of chances to win the game in regular time. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> had some difficulties uh, with the stopping their very physical uh, offense um, in, in extra time. Uh, but in the end of the day, I think uh, we weren't good enough in the decisive moments uh, where we had the chances. And uh, when you're not good enough in those moments, uh, you lose. And uh, in a game like this, there was a big disparity in terms of saves. You know, 18 for your keepers, 9 for the French. It showed that they were creating a lot of chances, whereas uh, you were putting away a lot of the chances, but found it difficult to to overcome that defense. What do you think the main difference was? Oh, they did great. I mean, uh, obviously, it's it's a very good defense, but yeah, uh, I also think uh, we missed some some big chances where we didn't hit the target. And... uh, you cannot see those things in the statistics so uh, uh, but in the end as I said before we had a couple of chances uh, to win the game and uh, if you don't grab these chances uh, you don't win it's pretty simple yeah and uh, I mean in those final minutes of normal time you switched to the 7v6 that seemed to work really well for you and you seemed in control um, and a change in defense as well to the the 3-2-1 I mean it's, it's more of uh, your teammates' roles then, but what did you see in that change? Do you think that was uh, the right decision? Yeah, I mean, uh, we managed to get control of the game again with uh, seven against six, and, uh, and we had some good saves for our goalkeepers and some good uh, sequences in defense. And uh, yeah, the last two, two, two attacks we have, they changed the defense to like 5 1, 3 2 1, and uh, we didn't succeed against the defense. So, of course, that's something we. We have to watch the next time we show up together and uh, figure out if we end now in, in like a, same in a situation like that uh, similar. Uh, yeah, we we need something else to play maybe probably. But I mean, it's always easy to stand here afterwards and uh, if it had worked, it would have been great. So uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the fine margins that these things are decided on. You've, you've been on uh, the positive and negative side of it. things. I mean, also in the extra time, uh, if Elohim, he misses his shot, uh, we have the chance to pop and, and score again. Uh, they have a good save from the keeper, and uh, we have the technical error, and uh, yeah, that decided the game today. Thanks for sharing it. Nadim, the, uh, the light on your face is clear to see. What an end to this three weeks and in particular this weekend I mean how did you get through it all <laughs> well step by step step by step through <laughs> sure, sure. weekend. no I mean we built our tournament pretty well I could say of course like I said earlier we're afraid maybe a lot of people uh, after this draw against Switzerland but Switzerland playing an amazing seven against six against us everything would work for them all this day uh, but we were sure about our, our strength. Um, we prepared every damn game after this one really well, really well. Uh, we took our time. 
We knew that it's gonna be a tough and a long journey until this final, where we wanted to be. But at the end, we came. We came against Sweden as well. Crazy game, what can I say? We led this first half amazingly, and the second half, we just lost everything. But our mindset just fought. We fought until the end. And we showed it again, once again today in the final against Danish. We knew it's going to be a tough one, strong one, hard one, difficult game. And uh, I think the fans are really satisfied about what they saw today. And we are even more satisfied from the group. Take us through those last couple of minutes in normal time, because as you said, once again, you've come back from defeat, basically, to, to snatch something and turn it around an extra time. What specifically have you got in plan for these last minutes or so? Or, or is it a lot of kind of intuition or is there a set, set approach to it? Yeah, intuition, maybe confidence, I don't know. I mean, we, like I said, we trust each other. I love every single of them uh, because we trust each other. Uh, we, we know that we can count on any of us. And we showed it today, uh, despite the amazing attack. Really, they are really tough to stop. Uh, but we trust each other. We got a plan, we got a plan and we followed it until the end. We didn't... Uh, we didn't complain to each other. We didn't make this chaos in defense. I think defense made the difference at the end, at the end of, the, of, the, of this overtime, particularly. So, yeah, yeah, we fought until the end and then we, at this moment, I think tactic doesn't matter. It's just about hurt, hurt and uh, intensity and what we, what we have done. It was a happy end for us. The hurt is an interesting word there. The Danes were also talking a lot about the physicality that you brought to the game, and that really seemed to impact on them, particularly in the fence. I mean, is that something you knew going into the game that you had to exert that physical dominance on them? I don't think we got this dominance. I just know that uh, we like to play tough. We like to play kind of aggressive, defensively and offensively as well. And uh, this is our strength. I think we do, we're maybe not the team who's playing the most beautiful handball uh, offensively. But when we go to one on one, two against two, when we go to shoot, we go 100% fighting until the end. We go 100%. We're giving a hard call to the referees because we are fighting until the, the last step, the last uh, shoot or whatever. So, yeah, this is our spirit. This is our handball. It's a handball with winning, so we are really happy. And just one little word, uh, you're probably not thinking about August just yet, but it's a fantastic start to the year and what could be a, you know, a really historic year for France. Um, any, any thoughts now on what could come in Paris and Lille later in the year? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, we still have six months. We are going to play in our club now. Uh, we are playing uh, France and Danish team as well. The Champions League, we all want to win it with our own team. So hard to say what's going to be in, uh, in Paris. Hopefully we're going to play in front of our fans. It will be amazing. It will be a, a big party for our country. And hopefully we're going to show all the world, to all the world, how the France can be during this tournament, like it used to in uh, 2017. Absolutely. Well, make sure you enjoy tonight. Yeah, Thank really, you very for much. Sure. Thank, Thank you. you. Enjoy Thank a bit also. It was a long time. I think we should probably dive into the alternative awards it's a pity not to have brown here always good to have three heads to try to decide on the awards especially uh, you know <laughs> what if we have disagreements we don't have an impartial party to, we, we can't yeah. vote but we, we'll give it a go anyway 
And uh, we do have suggestions from our Discord. So do appreciate everyone who has made their suggestions for our famous alternative awards. Before we get into that, quick mention on the actual All-Star team. I think Campus Vanna was a bit, bit strange. Not sure he would have been my my all-star left wing I, he is good but i'm not sure if he was the best it's kind of hard because i i saw a lot of people say um tim velda as a all-star left wing and he scored a lot of goals but he shot under 70 percent as a winger and it's you, you don't you don't <laughs> you're not an all-star with that essentially in my books I think you could have put Descat in there. I thought he had a really good redemption tournament after his yeah. um, two ACL injuries in the last three years. Uh, he he probably would have been my choice um, on the left wing. And I think I would have had Felix Klar as yeah. playmaker. I mean, well, also the, the final weekend that Felix Klar had was in itself uh, a remarkable, remarkable one. Um, exactly. If you if you wanted to have everyone in there, like if we're talking, when I say everyone, I mean I'm thinking from a French Denmark perspective, the big three of Gietzel, Mem, and Remily. You know, have Remily as the playmaker, Mem as the right back, and Gietzel as the as the MVP, because I know that it came down to basically whoever won that final was going to get MVP, either Remily or or Gietzel. So that was basically. That was basically what it came to. Uh, Fabregas, I mean, but it was like, yeah, they didn't, nobody nobody knew who was going to have that final. He was already in the All-Star team. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, it had to be Fabregas. And I think Rebelly was was absolutely incredible in this championship as a pure playmaker now. His playmaking has been, you know, you have to remember that it's only, what, four years maybe since he switched from right back to a full-time playmaker and he was really really good in this championship but Fabregas come on Uh, if you're gonna give it to the winning team uh, it was either gonna be Giesel if Denmark won but or you know Emil Nielsen really stake a claim for it hey it was it was too hard Nielsen was the one I predicted at the beginning of the championship and uh, he's my MVP like yeah (laughs) <laughs> what, a, what a turn these had. But. Yeah, okay. On to the alternative awards then. Shall we run through them all quickly and then uh, and then dive into them? <clears throat> so we, ha- we yeah, have the Swiss Army Knife. We have the Swiss Cheese. The Butter Knife. Random Rocket. Catch Me If You Can. Breakout Player. We already had a Breakout Also team, so we'll see if we can pick the best player from that. The True award from this, the Adrian Sheposh uh, award for excellency in shithousery, and one that, uh, a new one that has uh, popped up in uh, during the championship, the Do a Norway award or alternative names Grasping defeat from the yeah, jaws of I victory like honorary <laughs> Norwegian award Okay, so traditionally we begin with the Swiss army knife Who have you got for that, Lollix? My Swiss Army knife is Julian Kuster, mm-hmm. who had a very impressive j- tournament for Germany. And I think when you look at his stats, he has just this beautiful, beautiful uh, mix where he has 31 goals, he has 31 assists, 
he has actually an insane 17 blocks. That's almost mm. that's double the next best. Uh, five steals. So he can shoot. He can step up and score when he needs to, which he did in, um, I think, that game against, was it Austria, where he really stepped yep. up and scored nine goals. Um, he can pass the ball. He's immense in defense, and especially blocking was huge influence on um, how well uh, Germany defended. And he's not like a superstar, which is also what we uh, talk about here. He's not really, you know, he's not the absolute leader of the team yet. Um, so he's my well, well, What stands out to me here is that he's only got two fewer assists than Yuri Knorr, which is quite interesting given the what you assume the relationship uh, between them would be in terms of uh, backcourt players. And, uh, yeah, he's a great shout. The one I have is, uh, I think, would be considered more of a, a kind of a, uh, yeah, a shout-out rather than a real contender, but someone I really enjoyed watching at this championship who literally did a little bit of everything was Portugal's Salvador Salvador. Uh, oh, I do love Salvador and the best uh, he's got, he's got the, the best mustache, that's for sure. Uh, and best mullet and mustache <laughs> I mean, combo. He is, he belongs in a different time and uh, he's an absolute monster. And I think there's a lot more to come from this man. But uh, first of all, he was the he was the starting left back for Portugal at this championship on day one. And uh, what a different journey it could have been if he had killed it on that opening day for Martin Costa, who, <laughs> who started every <laughs> other game as the left back after that. But it was Salvador Salvador, the first one. But he found himself. Yes, he wasn't the starting left back anymore. He wasn't really a left back anymore after that but he found many other ways to contribute for this team he is the new uh new center block defender replacing all our our great cuban portuguese uh line players who have, have come <laughs> and gone over the last couple of years he uh had a big role to play in the in defense he had the uh lena Haugstead role as the uh the transition uh, bulldozer into attack and he scored a lot of goals not just that he score goals but he uh, was very efficient as well there were games where he was scoring four out of four or three out of three uh, winning penalties and just like really driving the counter attack but another little part of this is that um, and we heard from Paulo Pereira about this as well when uh, there were times they could only really uh, use Luis Frada as a line player, if he needed a break or he got a two-minute suspension, Salvador Salvador became a line player as well. So this is a, this is. is a man who literally did whatever it took for his team to progress, and I think he's uh, he deserves at least a, a big shout out in that in this category this year. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna channel my inner yeah. Brian Campion right now because I know mm-hmm. what he would say right now. He would he would question. If Julian is, is too good, is, <laughs> is too good to be yeah. a Swiss Army knife. He would absolutely that you know he is the he is the law on drawing a line of whether a player is too good or not to be a yeah. Swiss Army knife. 
And I kind of like your suggestion um, because of that line player piece. Just the fact that he really slotted in wherever. Like this left back, this, you know, quite talented young left back who was just told to go in on the line and move your body around in there to give uh, Luis Frade a rest. And I think that's the true spirit of the Swiss Army Knife. You know, being a line player is your little, like, hook that comes out of the Swiss Army Knife that you don't really know what to do with, but you need it sometimes. Yeah, and it fits this Portugal team to have that represented as well. This is a Portugal team that also at one point had Gilberto Duarte as a left wing. (laughs) <laughs> because because they because he was on the far side as a substitution and it wasn't working with Fernandez as a defender so it's like okay we're going to sacrifice scoring from the left wing just to have a good number two defender on the left hand side so yeah that that spirit of the team we'll give it to them so, uh Salvador Salvador the Swiss army knife for this men's Euro 2024 congratulations we also had uh Julian Custer uh in discord as well so you're not the only one who feels but it may be maybe already he's too good and he's certainly too important uh a player for, for germany swiss cheese could this be a quick one <laughs> ah, there's, there can only be Go one on. really and it really it's a performance that set the scene for this championship it set the scene for the championship because it was just wild in the opening game between Spain and Croatia. And we all watched on in shock and horror as Croatia romped through and scored goal after goal after goal after goal after goal after goal with the Spanish defence and the Spanish goalkeepers nowhere to be seen. One save from 26 for Perez de Vargas, zero from 10, for Sergei Hernandez. So one from 36 in total, just under 3% as a save rate for those goalkeepers. And I don't think, I think we're all in shock uh, watching it, but there was something glorious about it. So definitely a Swiss Cheese Award nomination to. The question is do you give it to Spain or do you give it to Spanish goalkeepers? Uh, I, think, uh, I think the Spanish goalkeepers is a duo. Like that is uh, conceding to 36 chances on goal as clear cut or not is one thing, but just the fact that it looked like nothing, like that looked like there was there was never going to make a save. That uh, yeah, I think it's good when we can specify it. It's good to specify it, and uh, let's give it to the the. Uh, or do you want to specify it even further? Is zero from ten not enough to add to the misery? One from 26 from Perez of Vargas. Is that uh, truly the award winner here? I I would okay. I would go Perez de Vargas, and it's harsh, you know. The we, he's had much glory in his career, but the I think what added to the shock was that it was Perez de Vargas who was doing this and yeah. had zero saves at halftime. Um, I think if it was just Sergey Hernandez, I think we'd be you know. We wouldn't be in such. It wouldn't be good. Then, yeah, I I agree. <laughs> that was the only one I had on that my list. Was uh, was that game, that performance? Yeah, that's an easy one this time around. The next one, uh, the the butter knife for a player 
that has one very, very specific role and they do it very well. This can also have a little bit of contention. You know, we've had Nora Merck win this on a couple of, <laughs> at least one occasion uh, for her penalty taking. Uh, I have a couple of names down here. Shall I throw them out? For me, I have Carl Cronan as one of them. And well, the other one is kind of a duo because it's because of one that the other has this role. It's Nicholas Kirkalucka and Hans Lindbergh. One of those two. Nicholas Kirkalucka has the most interesting <laughs> butter knife role of all for me because last year at the World Championship, Denmark made this discovery that they can protect uh, Matthias Gietzel as a defender. Who, Matthias Gietzel is a good defender, but they can protect him by putting him out in the wing and having Nicholas Kirkalucka, the number two defender on the right-hand side, because he can just go on the right wing, maybe score sometimes, but mostly just run up and down. And you don't really need one on the wing if you've got Matthias Gietzel. Uh, so Kirkalucka seen as a winger for this team now. And he is, in a way, almost like a Swiss army knife. And, and somebody in the Discord... Somebody in the Discord did put That's him out had it as a Swiss yeah, army it's a, knife, it's a... um, which I think is kind of fair. But at the same time, he has won. Like if I see, because if I think of Nicholas Kirkluck, his role is he defends and then he then he sprints out to the wing. At one point during this championship, he had recorded the most sprints in the championship. <laughs> And that is because he's got a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> Going from number two in the fence to the right wing in attack. Um, and that is, that is for me, his, his butter knife. Um, the fact that he then occasionally pops up and, and scores uh, on the right back position when they, they only have one pass left in, in passive play is a little bit irrelevant. But he's, he's somewhere between a Swiss army knife and a butter knife. Kirkluck is an interesting one. And I'm not sure. He might have won at, at the World Championship mm. last year. I think we may have given Kirkluck the Butterknife yeah. Award. Exactly for this reason. Because it, it just started. It was that final. Or it was, it was towards the latter stage of the championship where Nikolai Jakobsen had this genius idea. And which essentially won the championship for uh, Denmark. So I think... That's why I, I I wouldn't go for him. I think in this championship he also did play a bit of right back, so he you know he showed his Swiss Army knifeness more than the butter knife aspect because he didn't really play at all. I think the, the other player you mentioned, Hans Lindberg, is more uh, you know more uh, butter knife related because especially his performance in what was it? Is it the semi final or the last game of the group stages where? He got five goals against uh, Norway. He got five goals in one and a half minutes, just from penalties. (laughs) Five from five, taking his penalties. That's always an easy option. Basically, because of Kirkalocker, the only time he was used on the right wing was uh, in the six on five situation. Because Denmark have that set team where Hansen comes in and, and Lindbergh comes in. But besides that, he just wasn't used at all. So I think that is a that is a good a good more of a reason why he is the butter knife there. Do you have any other suggestions? My other one oh. was also also a Danish player, um, and that's Mikkel Damgård, because he has this 
really unique role where he comes in only when the substitution in attack can happen on the right side of the bench. So, like, he can he only comes in in second halves usually, uh, because then you can do the right substitution with. Uh, I, don't, I don't really remember who it usually is, but he doesn't play defense. Only comes in when they're facing the right direction, and when he comes in, all he does is take standing shots. He's from eight he's meters. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's made a career out of that single shot. He's won a Champions League. He's won yeah. a World Championship. He's a little bit with that like single shot. Kind of the new Mads Mensa. A little bit. Mads Mensa was like the agent of chaos that you throw in there. Now he is still a little bit like that Mensa, but he's trusted a bit more. Whereas Damgard is, it's like, it's like rolling a dice. It's like we'll bring him in. Either he's going to have a good day and he scores ten goals, or he's going to go zero from five. And well, there's only one way to find out. He's an absolute wild card. He's an absolute wild card. You put him in, and his his role is yeah, as you said, agent of chaos. To just you know, he'll either win you or lose you a game, and you have to just use him wisely. So I I I have him. I like that. I think it is uh, more uh, nomination. It is very specific. His role, (laughs) and I think the fact that you don't know, like, don't know if it'll work or not. A little bit like a butter knife as well. Will will the butter be? Will will this knife and the butter smoothly uh, spread or not? You don't know. How hard is this butter? Yeah, only, exactly. Only How hard is this butter? Find out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like it. Good. Uh, Random rocket is the next one. Uh, this is for for somebody who comes up with something. Usually a shot. An amazing hard shot ridiculously good shot out of nowhere who have you uh, got in mind for that I have two nominations here uh, one is uh, Georgie Czechvabradze just because the Georgian right back who uh, he went out quite early in the championship of course but he's random because his shots come at such random angles jumps like steps what he does is really random it's not random that he shoots because he shoots a lot and he does score a lot but it's the way he shoots but i think my other nomination which also i think came in through the discord is a really good one and that is uh niels versteinen for particularly his 15 goals in uh that main round match uh, for the Netherlands where it's random because we know he's a good player. He was thrust. We've talked about uh, his role, how he was thrust into it. And he he had just been kind of a little bit shy, passing the ball, doing well, playmaking, but it felt like he was just scared to shoot sometimes or just in his head a little bit. And he just got unleashed in that game and is now one of the highest ever scorers uh, in a single game. I like that. The randomness, you don't know whether that the shot is going to be ridiculously good or not because yeah, the accuracy isn't always there yet with him. And you also don't know where he's you know, physically at at this championship. One I had was Aaron Palmerson. What he came up with on a couple of occasions mm. when he did, you know, finally manage to uh, you know, just fucking do it, rock and roll. 
as he said in his own words, was it did catch me by surprise. You know that that those goals against Serbia, particularly that last one, was astonishing. And you just don't know if he has that in his locker anymore. And he managed to pop up with that on a few occasions. Uh, Prandi was one with the. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's got to be. He's, <laughs> I, I, how did I forget about this? But that was such a. It's not that random, a, but it's your just. Discussion of rules aside, we did that in the previous podcast. Like the fact how he managed to. How he managed to get that around the wall, like power wise. And just like you see, the, the close up of it just like pinging off the woodwork and beyond Palika is uh, is special. But will, will, will people hate us because we gave it to an, al- oh, uh, yeah. an illegal goal? Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to give it to Prandi just because it was also the most views I've on a, uh, a video from a yeah. Humble Hour Twitter account of 1.6. And a lot of the... So that was random as well. <laughs> 1.6 <laughs> million. And the reactions were quite random as well at times. Uh, the good, then Random Rocket goes to Elohim yeah. Brandy and his uh, after the buzzer equalizer in the semi final against Sweden. Which I suppose yes. you can also give to the Catch Me If You Can Award, depending on how you uh, interpret uh, that mo- uh, that award. There's lots of interpretation, but I think Catch Me If You Can can apply to Elohim Prandi scoring the goal, sprinting <laughs> away, and uh, no one asking him. It, it also maybe qualifies for the Adrian Shiposh, but uh, you know he got got away with that. I don't know. But do you have, for Catch Me If You Can, do you have anything else that could, uh, could defeat Prandi? I d- I, Go on. I do, have, I do have a nomination for Catch Me If You Can. And that is Georgian. I'm, I'm, I like my Georgians. Georgian goalkeeper Zurab Zindadze, who had one of the most remarkable moments in this whole championship uh, when Georgia were up one goal against Bosnia 22-21 they conceded a turnover the Bosnian goalkeeper Buric threw the ball for a fast break for Bosnia to equalise with probably about 30 seconds 45 seconds left and out of nowhere Georgian goalkeeper Zurab Tsentadze sprints out of his goal intercepts the fast break pass from the Bosnian uh, winger, gets the ball and he's not done. He's not done. He hasn't just saved the game there yet. He gets that rush of blood that goalkeepers get when they find themselves beside the halfway line where they're like, you know what? I, I can do this. I can win this game. And he sprints, takes a few bounces, gets to the nine meter line and plays a lovely bounce pass into the right wing for Georgia, who puts it away, makes it 23-21 and gets Georgia their very first points in a European Championship ever. So, fully agree. Fully agree. And I think we said earlier in the Championship like, when it happened, that we need to moment. give an award for this. And thankfully, I think Catch Me If You Can fits, fits that one really well. The other nomination I had was uh, was the skipper, Elias Ellison Ashipagatu, but he, uh, he'll get his awards someday. He's a good one. Yeah. 
I think specifically for the skipper, if we're going to have to, you know, nominate something, it's that goal where, uh, and I think, you know, the, the video got quite a lot of views on EHF Euro on Instagram where he was standing on seven meters, faked it up to uh, the right back, faked it to the left, to his left back, took a step forward, faked it through his legs, and then just took another step and uh, dove through defense and, and, and scored, which was... Uh, just incredible. It's, it's that fear from the defense. So what is he going to do? <laughs> Impossible to catch, even though he's not moving. It's like, wait, he's, <laughs> he's about something really special. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. Maybe he's a contender in the next one. The Breakout Player Award. And we did a podcast specifically about breakout players. And we had an entire all-star team of them. Uh I guess it has to come from that. Yeah. So, so the team. Um, I think let's let's do this one relatively quickly because we did do a full full podcast on breakout players. It was a tournament of breakout players. For me, Constantin Mustel is like the pure breakout where no one knew who he was, and he was just so amazing. But. The skipper and Faroe Islands need to get an award. So uh, I, I would probably nominate Elias Ellison as Shippagotu uh, as the breakout player who's broken out to the whole Yeah, the world. other one I had was Martin Costa because he, as we mentioned at the time, broke out of his brother's shadow and he is the, the top scorer. But he, he's, on the, he's on the actual all-star team. So he doesn't need to be the, here. He doesn't need... Uh, he doesn't need that extra recognition. So let's go for the skipper. Yes. The skipper. Okay, congratulations, Elias Ellison Ashipagotu. Now, the big one. The Adrian Shiposh Award for Excellence in Shithousery. For me, it's got to be perhaps the move that kept Germany in this championship. Yuri Knorr's flop against Austria. And just Yuri Knorr, as a whole, gaslighting German media and the German people throughout this championship. I, th- I think Yuri Knorr is a really good one. He he turned into the villain that we kind of knew he was. I mean, he had the anti-vaxxer yeah, thing, the yeah. Whole, uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. You forget, forget about that. But Yuri Knorr, there's something like... He is <laughs> Slytherin. You know, he's the guy uh, who is fighting the karate kid. You know, he's, he's, he just has that evil look about him. And he really yeah, leads. He's, he's the, the heel. He is the heel in wrestling. Uh, he is the, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. Uh, I think that's a good one. My nomination was referees <laughs> at EHF Euro. 2024 that's a big one okay go on (laughs) and it's it's great that we're not the official partner of the EHF Euro and that all of you on Patreon uh, can support us and allow us to do all these podcasts uh, because the referees haven't they've just been chaotic 
how many times have we, I think this more than any other championship, have we exited a game talking about a referee's decision? Referees decided so many games in this championship and the use of VAR was executed well sometimes and not executed at all other times. And I think that's something that just needs to improve. I think, you know, that will improve. VAR is still only new in this sport. It's it's contentious everywhere. It's not like it's used well in football. It's not like it's used well in basketball. You know, people complain about decisions all the time, despite VAR being there. But too many times in this championship, the the outcome of a game has depended on whether a referee would look at VAR or not. And that's the shithousery. That they're... Um, they're kind of they're going with their gut sometimes and they're going with the video other times and they're just scared to look at a video twice you know there's one you look at the var you make a big decision then something else happens ah oh, no you can't go and look at var again because that would be yeah. ridiculous you can of course you can so that's, yeah that's i think uh, my, my my view on it is slightly different i think because overall i think the standard has been good like I, I've been quite impressed at, at times from a lot of refs, but and I think that makes the contentious things stand out even more because there's been a lot of times where I felt like that uh, the general management of the game has been really good, and in comparison to the World Championship in in December, for example, has been much better than that. Um, but yeah. it does then it puts a spotlight on the on the moments you just spoke about, and like three really stand out for me. It was the final seconds of Germany-Iceland, the final seconds of Sweden-Denmark, and the final step of Sweden-France. And, <laughs> and one pair of referees was involved in two of those situations. Uh, so in that sense, uh, and that is Slavoj Nikolov and Georgi Nachevsky. Uh, and it was the Czech referees who were involved in the, in the third one. Uh, <laughs> that is... <laughs> Who's who's the biggest uh, who's the bigger shit wash then? I mean, is that, is that it is great shit housery, oh, isn't it? I don't, like, I, <laughs> not not going to the video. And, and <laughs> exactly, it's the use of VAR at EH. How about I, I tone it down from referees because I think you have a good point about the referees actually being the standard of refereeing being quite good in the championship overall, but maybe the use of VAR by. EHF Euro 2024 referees at crucial moments is my nomination. A, this is a funny one in the history books. <laughs> uh, maybe, actually, Alex, maybe if there was a VAR, a video-assisted referee, rather than just video replay, we might not have these issues. Or might have. I mean, football, yeah. There you that's go. A whole, that's a whole other discussion. We, we uh, know how much trouble... That, uh, that is uh, that's getting the sport into but uh, yeah oh. the use of video replay <coughs> you ignore or yeah, I, uh, the use of video ignore, replay uh, at I mean again, again goes in hand in hand uh, if if video re replay was used then your ignore wouldn't have gotten away with that flop 
in a game that was a game's changing situation in the final 30 seconds of uh, Austria Germany so I think it's pure <laughs> shithousery. I think yeah. I it's pure <laughs> just because that dive was Probably such shithousery. Or to be as Wagner. Yeah. Okay. You 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 want to go for Knorr? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted good. to have a rat. Solid second place <laughs> for video replay. There was also so in the women's world championship, we came up with an award that was essentially for the best. Most mm, memorable yes. performance the Henry or award. most memorable <laughs> moment. The Henry Reisler Award. But what was, it was like the golden spoon or something. Um, Brian came up with the award. Um, and that that went to Henny Reisler for her incredible performance in the semifinal and that game winner. And we said that this is an award that we don't have to give out every time. It's not for the best performance in a championship. It is for a performance that is going to be remembered in history. Do we have if one the in this final had uh, went a little bit differently? Then I would say the overall championship of uh, of Amy and Nielsen might have been there because we, as we spoke about, everyone has he hasn't had a bad game and he didn't have a bad game. His worst performance was like thirty five percent. He didn't. <laughs> That's okay in my books. Uh, but I, you know, he he will he'll be back, and he will get that another time. I don't think if you don't get the gold uh, when it's a whole overall performance, then I mean there was a couple of really good individual performances in there as well from him. But I don't know if there was one in a big big game. Yeah, yeah that's going to be remembered in history. I, I, there's been a lot of really good goalkeeper performances throughout the championship, I think. Um, but none that was truly, you know, memorable for the long term. The only thing that I would think that kind of falls into this category is the Eloy Prandi last second equaliser for France as just something that will be remembered in history. But can we give this award because it is uh, tainted? Uh, uh, we, yeah, you know, I'm giving him two again, awards, but I think <laughs> for the same thing. <laughs> uh, you can have yeah, the random rocket. He can have the it random be, rocket. It has to um, be pure gold. But I think pure no, gold. Any rice that was pure gold in that pure gold. Yeah. So Not no, awards. no golden spoon award. Not awarded, and that's okay. And now our new award, the grasping defeat from the jaws of victory, honorary yeah, Norwegian in award. Do a Norway. Yes, uh, three. I have three. <laughs> you start. I feel like you're you're very passionate about this one. I, I, I have three. Um, two of which we've actually talked about quite a lot. You know, um, and one is one that really actually came to my attention recently, which I really think is the winner. So, uh, the two, my first two are Serbia, or just actually Serbia in, in general. <laughs> they lost three games, or, you know, they, they just threw away all of their games, but especially uh, that match against Iceland where Peter Djordjic jumped and uh, passed the ball and uh, Iceland claimed a draw. So, that's one. 
The other one, of course, we talked about a lot. Harold Reinkind, he didn't jump, but he bounced. And um, it was uh, the skipper who came out came away with the seal and Faroe Islands got that amazing result, which was a draw. Both of those draws, actually. So I'm going to leave my third one. Okay, here because I also I had Serbia, Norway, and the third one I had was Sweden. And uh, I don't quite know where to attribute the blame for this. It was Sweden in the, in the semifinal, in the final seconds. A little bit oh. of... <laughs> I, I know exactly. I know exactly where to attribute the blame because that's, that's my third one. So. I'm, and I'm very I'm, passionate I'm about it. To see whether you have it down as Jim Gottfriedsson or Glenn Solberg. Jim Gottfriedsson, one hundred percent. Take it away, Alex. It's it's his steps. Uh, so why why did you for, nominate for Glenn taking Solberg? the time out too early at the end? Mm, yeah, with 15 they, seconds not left. Because France were not back in defense. They weren't settled. The, uh, the, him taking the time out, I think, gave France what they needed to set themselves up and, uh, and in the end, get the ball back. I think it would have not been the case if uh, he didn't take the time out that early. I think that's, a, that's a smart because it was... So essentially... It was 27-25 to Sweden. Then France scored um, to make it 27-26 at 59-31. So 29 seconds and Sweden had possession. They went up. Uh, timeout was taken with 15 seconds left. But then you have, you have 15 seconds to just hold on to the ball. It's, it's the... You know what? You know what? I... <laughs> We've talked about it so much. I have said that you don't hold onto the ball, you try score. Um, you know, don't just faff about, try to score. That's the issue with Serbia, that was the issue with Norway, that they wanted to hold on to the ball and they didn't want to score. But what Ian Gottfriedson did was get the ball at left back and just have a little dance. I, there was some contentiousness. I, I don't know where this contentious decision in this travel was. You know, people are like, oh, it was a really soft travel. Ian Gaffrinson got the ball and took four steps before he took his first step. <laughs> he just had a little dance. <laughs> went from one foot to the other, went from one to the foot, you know, getting himself ready. Then took his three steps, got tackled, took a bounce, then took four steps and then scored. And I thought at this moment, I thought the game was completely over. But why he just thought that he had to do it all by himself in that moment? And why when he was being challenged, he was actually being fouled. He didn't like, you know, go down. He fended, he fended the defender um, off like an NFL player. He did. And I think he got a rush of blood in his head. Um, an experienced player who I think just for some reason, maybe because Clare had the better performance, he wanted he could, to be the, the star on man the, again. On next, the next championships advertisements on Swedish TV, him barreling through to score the winner. The steps are called. Very good decision. Um, and the rest is history. The ultimate, I think, snatching defeat 
from the jaws yep. of victory. I have absolutely oh no contention with that. <laughs> Fully agree. And your impassioned speech. Nice. So, a wrap up here. The Swiss Army Knife goes to Salvador Salvador from Portugal. Swiss Cheese goes to Gonzalo Perez of Vargas and Spain. Butter Knife, Michael Damgard from Denmark. The Random Rocket, Elohim Prandiz, uh, semi final equalizer for France. The Catch Me If You Can, you have his full name. Georgia for his uh, well, catching the ball and roaming into attack to uh, hand them their first win over Bosnia-Herzegovina. Breakout player goes to Elias Ellison Ashibigotu from Faroe Islands. Uh, Adrian Shiposh award for excellency in Schildhausery goes to Yuri Knorr and his flop for Germany against or called the Schwalbe in our Discord. I don't know. The Martin Schwalbe, did he come up with this? No, the Martin Schwalbe, the former player and coach, uh, won the Champions League with Hamburg. I have to look into that. The uh, golden... Golden glove, golden ball, golden game, whatever it is called, awarded to nobody. Uh, we're going to have to <laughs> remember that for next time. Um, the do in Norway or snatching uh, defeat from the jaws of victory goes to Sweden and Jim Gottfriedsson and his gallivanting. There was one we had in the past, which we haven't uh, used recently, which is the Life of the Party Award. I would give that to the Faroe Islands fans if we wanted to bring that one back. That's a good one. That's that's a really good one. They were the life of the party um, in what was one of the best preliminary rounds and starts to a championship. We've if you're singing, if you're singing uh, opposition national, they brought the fun. And you've got Walter Krins in a Faroe Islands uh, morph suit, skull and beers, and that is uh, yeah, and and you have. 10% of your population. I think it was up to 12 in the end. I think they had over 6,000 tickets bought, which is incredible. Uh, hopefully the first of many times we can give that to them. Last point as well is we had a fantasy competition on holdit.dk for all of our Patreon members. And we do have a winner. And we actually have two winners. And the reason why we have two winners is because you could pay for... Uh, extra transfers uh, throughout the championship, uh, which was a gold team, um, where the the number one spot came from a gold team, uh, which was Team Barbecue One from Carol uh, Larson ninety seven. So, uh, congratulations, and uh, they will get the wonderful prize of our Gay O Gay five step mug. Write us on handballhour at gmail.com with your information and we'll try to send out that mug but the second award is for the team that could only make three transfers in the whole championship which is very impressive and it's coming home finishing fourth place with that um, normal squad and Havard Nikolaisen um, will also receive a mug so congratulations to both of those teams and winners and do send us your address on humblehour at gmail.com and we will send out that mug. Thank you everyone who joined us throughout this championship. Uh, you've really made it a, a special one. It really was one of the greatest uh, European championships we've ever had. Amazing action. We appreciate all of your interaction on our Discord, on Twitter, on our social media and everyone who's signed up for our Patreon 
do stick around uh, on Patreon. We have a morning club coming up very soon. So every week we have a dedicated uh, podcast for our Patreon listeners. We'll also have plenty of longer podcasts throughout the season as we cover the club handball season. We cover Bundesliga. We cover Champions League. And, you know, whatever you want, uh, we will we will cover it. So uh, thanks again for everyone who has signed up. Do stick with us and see you on the other side of the European Championship. Get a bit of rest. Take your mind off handball for a little bit and then we'll be back. Uh-huh.